0: St. Louis County Executive Sam Page took office in a time of great adversity for Missouri's most populous county. And now the Democratic official is asking voters for two more years in office. Page joins us on the latest edition of Politically Speaking to talk about his record over the past year and a half and why Democratic voters should give him more time in office. Let's hit the music. is as critical as anywhere else in the country.
1: I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together.
0: I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. I'm here in this fabulous Clayton Law office right now with St. Louis County Executive Sam Page. This is part of our continuing series of talking with county executive candidates. Dr. Page, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. So uh, there's a lot to talk about. We're gonna be talking about the COVID response. We're gonna be talking about furthering racial equity in St. Louis County. And we're gonna be talking about what you wanna do between 2021 and 2023 if you are elected to a partial term. But I wanna just ask, why are you running again? Why do you wanna keep this job?
1: Well this is an important opportunity to change the direction of the community and we've got a lot of challenges in front of us. It's a real opportunity to be here. I've taken a leave of absence uh, from my medical practice to serve as county executive and I'm excited about the uh, potential of growth and opportunity in St. Louis County.
0: You've been primarily a legislator throughout your municipal, county, and, and state legislative career. This is the first time you've been in an executive role. What's been the biggest challenge?
1: Well, transition from a legislative role to an executive role is different. Uh, the tough decisions rest with me, and there's, uh, uh, that's a, a different approach than the legislative branch, of course. There have been three historic challenges in my year and a couple of months in office that would be a, a landmark event for uh, any term in office. The first was cleaning up after a federal investigation where my predecessor went to federal prison and that required a lot of structural changes in county government, a lot of ethics reforms, and changing the way that we did business as a county government. Uh, The COVID response was a historic 100 year event in a worldwide pandemic. And now this uh, civil rights debate that we're having um, with the questions uh, involving law enforcement and systemic racism is in itself a third historic event. So any of these would have been um, a challenge for any county executive.
0: You're the third county executive that I've covered and one of the things I've observed about this post is it's very powerful. You have a real opportunity to effectuate change in Missouri's biggest county, but it just engenders a lot of criticism and always makes me wonder like why would anybody want all this responsibility and all this criticism? Like how do you de- how do you deal with that?
1: Well, accepting criticism is part of any high-profile elected office with a lot of responsibility. And this certainly is a, an elected office with a lot of responsibility. I think you have to take it in stride. You have to look past the criticism, look past the emotion with which it is delivered, and look underneath that and see what the real issue is and try and understand the issue that's behind um, a lot of the criticism and a lot of the emotion and address it if you can.
0: So let's talk about the protests over George Floyd, Breonna Taylor and other black people that have been killed by police throughout the country. I think that this debate has a special pertinence in St. Louis County, because this is where Michael Brown was killed almost six years ago. I I recall that you joined the county council soon after Michael Brown's death in Ferguson. So this is not an academic exercise for you. Um, I think that there's a lot of demands in this community for actual change with the way policing is done, but also bridging the economic, the educational, and the social divides between white and black people. So I want to I give you a chance to say what you are going to do in the next two years to further those goals.
1: Well, I started addressing equity and inclusion. My first day in office as county executive, I created an Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and I asked my staff to appry- apply a lens of equity to every important decision that we make. And we've done that from affordable housing to um, reforms in the jail, um, to uh, uh, all the questions surrounding law enforcement, to my appointments. All across county government, we've been applying uh, a lens of equity since my first day. Uh, and, of course, with this, these recent developments uh, surrounding um, these protests, civil rights questions, um, the questions of systemic racism in our community, in our county, and within law enforcement, uh, that lens of equity has always been applied. And we're having some very real conversations about how we can examine our police department, how we can do better, and how we can uh, re-engage the community to uh, trust the county police. We're lucky we have a very good brand in St. Louis County, but there's always opportunities for an an improvement, and we're going to do a deep dive into our county police department and look for those opportunities.
0: Well, let's talk about uh, Police Chief Mary Barton's comments a couple weeks ago. And I'm gonna read these comments just so our listeners understand. It was during a county council meeting And she was asked directly about racism in the St. Louis County Police Department. And her response initially was to say that there's systematic racism in the police department is overly broad and probably not accurate. I think that to a certain degree, people believe what they want to believe. And until we sit down and talk about it and can verify or at least ferret out what it is people are talking about, I think to put a label on it is really unfair and short-sighted. People not thinking before they speak is a far cry from racism. Now, I know that she has essentially walked back on those comments, but a lot of people were really outraged by that. And I understand that there is a division between the county executive and the police chief. The police chief uh, reports to the police board, but you appointed the police board. So I want you to address those comments and what you're going to do to put pressure on, on Chief Barton to maybe not necessarily go in that direction of her comments.
1: Well, first of all, uh, we understand that the police board does uh, choose the police chief. I appointed the police board, and I appointed a police board that I believe is diverse, represents the interest and the diversity of the community, but shares my policy positions. I communicate my policy positions to the police board, and I meet with the police chief weekly. Uh, There is a difference in definition between systemic racism and systematic racism, with the words that she used. But in general, um, Chief Barton has to find words and vocabulary that express what she means in her heart and what she wants to see in the department. And as a new police chief, initially, she struggled with that. Um, Over the past week, we've heard different descriptions, different words to describe what she wants to do in the department, and I'm going to give her the opportunity to find those words and to lead the department, again, under the direction of the police board who sets the policy. We have a lot of conversations. We will have a lot of ongoing conversations as we do a deep dive into the police department we'll be reviewing those policies i've asked for a deep review of policies procedures and training and uh, the police chief has agreed to do that and i'm looking forward to that
0: what do you think the black community's view of the st louis county police department is and i think that's an important question because there were some predominantly black communities that contracted with st louis county like delwood for example that have turned away from St. Louis County are going with the North County Police Cooperative and there may be other reasons for that primarily cost but what what do you think the view of the county police department is among predominantly black communities
1: well I think we've got some work to do there uh, for sure I think that policing all over the country has work to do to build relationships with the black community to um, have a, a greater presence of fundamentals of community policing of trust I believe that our County Police Department does a better job in their relationships than a lot of parts in the country, but there's always room for improvement. As far as our contracts with municipalities, those are contractual issues. I'm not down in the details, but regardless of whether or not we uh, are contracted to provide police services in a municipality, we are always available. If they have needs, we are always available and are there providing services in the event of a crisis, in the event of specialized services, and we have a great relationship with the North County Police Cooperative, it's really gotten a lot better over the past year.
0: One of the actual responsibilities of St. Louis County and St. Louis County's black community is managing unincorporated North St. Louis County. And I have heard for years, going back to previous administrations, that people there don't feel like St. Louis County has made a concerted effort to deliver basic services there. And to... to bring economic development to those places? What are you going to do as county executive to turn that tide?
1: Well, I think we have to recognize that we have uh, decades of neglect in North St. Louis County. It goes uh, to the heart of systemic racism. It is about access to health care, access to educational opportunities, um, job opportunities, um, uh, health insurance, health care facilities. There are a lot of challenges that uh, align very well with the history in our community, and our county, uh, of economic uh, and racial segregation. And this has been going on for decades. Um, and since the first day of my administration, I've worked very hard to apply a, bl- a lens of equity to every decision we've made, from affordable housing to, um, to the way we uh, uh, de- to de- delegate our resources. If we look at the federal stimulus grant, the COVID uh, response, we received $175 million of, of stimulus funds, $173 million. And we made a decision early on through that appropriation process to direct those funds to the areas that need the most. And that's exactly what we've done with um, health care services, with testing services, um, with um, uh, support for uh, mortgage and rent relief, um, a, a, a quite a long list of services that we've focused on the areas that have needed them the most. And we will continue to do that. But uh, North St. Louis County does need economic development. We're in the middle of rebuilding I-270, which is a $250 million project. It's the largest um, infrastructure project in the region in over a decade. Um, So there's a lot of opportunity for improvement. There's a lot of needs that remain. But over the past year, we've started to turn the corner and head in the right direction.
0: You mentioned the jail and your preamble. That's one of the big responsibilities of the St. Louis County Executive's Office. And I I talked with Raul Bonasco about this like preventing deaths in jail is a nationwide problem. And there's no like light switch solution to it. But there have been several people who have died in the jail as you've been county executive. And I want to get your sense of how you're going to make sure that doesn't happen and how you're going to communicate effectively with the public when there is a death in the Justice Center.
1: I think, first of all, we have to make sure we're doing everything we can to protect people who are in our custody and treating them with dignity, providing them with health care, and providing them with a path forward when they leave our custody. And that's been one of the focuses of my administration. The first thing I did was put more resources into the jail, um, better coordination and training between corrections officers and nursing. We eliminated millions of dollars of excessive fees. We lowered the rates of uh, services that, uh, that the inmates are receiving and try to provide them with better services. But in the end, people um, uh, who come into our custody are sick. Uh, They have chronic health problems and frequently this population doesn't have access to medical care. They're seeing a doctor for the first time when they're in the custody of the county. Um, Some of them have substance abuse problems and are withdrawing from controlled substance. We have to address all of these medical problems with compassion and respect and dignity and that's what we have to do. Um, On occasion they will be sick. On occasion, uh, regrettably, someone will get sick enough and and be hurt and, and someone might die either in our custody or in somewhere in the country. And we feel terrible when that happens. And our responsibility is to do everything we can to keep that from happening.
0: Are there sort of barriers to to releasing information about particular jail deaths right away? Because I know that there was a situation with Javon Mitchell where all the information took a little bit of time to get out. Like, What are some of the challenges on that front?
1: Well, I would have to refer you to the Director of Justice Services for the details. But the general principles are that we would first try and find the family members and notify them of what's happening. We would try and collect as much accurate information we had as possible for an initial release to the community. And then some of the details of what happened um, require time. You know, if if there's an unfortunate incident or a death, and there's there's an autopsy and tests that go out, and that takes a couple of weeks to get that information back. But um, our goal is to first let the family members know and get them engaged as soon as possible and then release what information is appropriate to the public. And then we have to wait until the, the final investigation is complete. But we have initiated a lot of procedures, which I believe have improved the process in Justice Services.
0: So let's shift gears a little bit to COVID, but also kind of melding within this topic area. I want to talk about testing, and especially mm-hmm. in North St. Louis County. There have been municipal officials in the North St. Louis County area who felt that testing wasn't robust enough in the beginning of the COVID response. in predominantly African-American areas. I want to give you a chance to respond to that. I understand that finding adequate testing was a nationwide problem, but that's been a particularly sharp criticism from municipal officials in the black community, and I think you deserve a chance to address that.
1: Right, so um, first we have to understand that after decades of racial and economic segregation and struggles in North County, that um, there's a lot of frustration and whenever um any sort of deficiency is witnessed there is a sincere belief that it is um, isolated in that area of the county but the, the truth is is that we had trouble with testing everywhere in america when COVID first hit we had tr- trouble with testing everywhere in the county when it first hit and if you look at those zip code maps we did an enormous amount of testing in north county we had an enormous amount of positive test results in north county we we're providing a lot of tests there the first test in north county was done at Christian Hospital on March 23rd. And the narrative that there was somehow testing, um, you know, at at a later date in North County is just a false narrative that was created as part of the political process, and we have to deal with those criticisms. That's what happens in politics, and that's what happens in an election season. Things are exaggerated, amplified, or or fabricated. But the truth is that we've focused an enormous amount of resources on North County. Uh, Testing was available in North County, but unfortunately, Uh, testing was not adequate in our county or the country early on because tests were just weren't manufactured fast enough.
0: What do you think the most difficult part of dealing with COVID was? This this county has been hit harder than any other place in Missouri. And you know, this is the largest population center. So I definitely understand the reason why. But I can't imagine that you would look back at your response and say like everything was easy or everything went right. I want to give you a chance to reflect on that point.
1: Well, you know, we've had an enormous amount of historic challenges in the past year. Any one of them would have been a historic event for a four-year term in office, and we've had three big ones, the federal investigation and the subsequent turnover of county government and rebuilding the COVID epidemic and now uh, these uh, civil rights debates. So, um, you know, I think we've managed them pretty well, given the information we had at the time to make the decisions that we did. We issued stay-at-home orders sooner here than almost anywhere in the country. We, saved, we made decisions that saved a lot of lives, that prevented a lot of sickness in the community, prevented our hospitals from being overrun at the rates we saw elsewhere, and put us in a position for an economic recovery and moving forward into the fall in a, in a much better place than we could have been.
0: So there have been times when I've noticed that the city and the county have not been on the same page with certain things. For example, the county closed parks and the city didn't. Uh, the city reopened bars quicker than the county, mm-hmm. and I, I just kind of want to ask, like, I understand that there have been cohesive responses between the city and county, but there have been other instances where it seems like you and Mayor Cruson have been on completely different wavelengths. And I want to ask why. why. Why did that happen?
1: Well, I think it's a matter of perspective. Again, we're in an election cycle where small differences are magnified for political arguments and debate. Uh, If you look at our stay-at-home orders and our timelines, there were 14 pages of business guidance that came out uh, really on the same day as part of our reopening plan. Uh, The BARS was a footnote on those 14 pages, but there was a frantic amount of effort to find a difference to focus on. And that was done, a difference was found, and it, um, a lot of energy was put behind messaging that difference. But the bottom line is the, de- the definition of bars in the county is much different than the definition of bars in the city. The bars in the city are smaller, the bars in the county are, are um, bigger venues with a lot more people that are more of a, a traditional bar. And that's, um, you know, they had different guidelines, different requirements, and they opened on a, on a different timeline in the county.
0: I mean, since we are out of your office and then can ask political questions, I mean, let's be real here. Mayor Krusen is part of the same political faction that Steve Stanger was in. And you're part of a political faction that employs consultants that ran against the mayor last time. I just gotta ask you directly, are those realities playing any role in the relationship between the city and the county, whether it be COVID response or anything else? I think
1: the biggest role that those realities play are insiders Mm -hmm. who like to look for things to talk about. But uh, Mayor and I have a professional relationship that goes beyond um, who provides services or consulting services or helps with campaigns. Uh, There's a lot of diversity in people that support the Mayor. There's a lot of diversity in the people that support me. There's some overlap. um, There's some that don't overlap. But I believe that narrative is really Um, an insider's argument that very little people pay attention to.
0: Well, let's talk about one of the other sources of contention between members of the county council, and that was the decision to give your administration authority to spend the CARES Act money. Um, I understand that was a county council decision, but it obviously affected how you were able to dole out the $173.5 million. Why do you think that was a good decision to do? I mean, you did sign that into law, so you obviously supported that mode of action, Um, and obviously not everybody agreed with it because it was a four to three vote, but why do you think that was the best way to to dole out that money?
1: Well, at the time this was happening, there was a relatively urgent need in the community to get resources in the hands of people who needed help, and we really did not know the direction of COVID or the impact on our community. At the time we were making those decisions, Um, we saw what was happening in New York, we saw what was happening around the world, and we wanted to be in the position to help people, and no one wanted a two-week delay before, or three-week delay for an appropriations bill so we could serve a need. So what we decided to do is to move that money into a position where it could help people and then go back to the council in a collaborative way and determine how to spend it and engage the members of the council who wanted to participate in the decision. And initially, uh, the minority, the Republicans didn't want to participate in the decision, but as they saw how this process was working, as they saw how sincere we were in incorporating the council in all of these decisions, then uh, they began to participate, and we've had a pretty good working relationship since then. You know, the, um, um, the initial conflict on the appropriation of the emergency funds was really not um, a, a conversation about Um, The process of appropriating, it was a conversation about the language in the Appropriation Bill. And the language in the Appropriation Bill was to appropriate the funds in an equitable manner, which is different than an equal manner. An equitable manner means it goes to the place that that needs the most help, which brings us back to your first point. North County and, and several areas of our community have been neglected, racially and economically segregated for years, and have fallen behind and we knew that those communities would be the hardest hit medically and be the hardest hit economically and that's where we focused our relief so so moving that appropriations bill in a manner that recognized equity was really the source of confrontation and concern right out of the box the questions about process about whether the council's members were engaged you know after the the appropriation bill was passed in the expenditures as they have been or engaged before in a piecemeal fashion really wasn't uh, the fundamental difference of opinion, Um, but that's why it went through on a partisan vote.
0: Can you point to instances where council pressure may have pushed your administration to move in different directions? One thing that I I don't know if this is actually the case, but I remember asking you about daycare regulations and you were initially going to say that they were going to stay the same, but they weren't exactly the same after the 18th. Was that the result of county council pressure for your administration to change course on that?
1: The council members. Um, communicate, all of them. Republicans mm-hmm. and Democrats communicate directly with department heads with areas of concern. And if the department heads think they're good ideas, then they implement them. Mm-hmm. If they're concerned, they come back to me and we have a further conversation. But I've engaged, the reason why I have a better relationship with the council members than, than historically is because I engage them in decision-making. They participate in decisions. And uh, their advice and opinion is important to me. And so any decision that's been made at the department level um, that um, reflects something that's been said publicly by a council member probably incorporated their their opinion into that decision.
0: I, I want to take this in a little bit of a different direction. When you listen to county council meetings and you hear from the public, if and I understand people that comment at county council meetings and they're upset about something, maybe a vocal minority in this community. But obviously the thing I've heard the most is, that your restrictions were too restrictive and you didn't release the COVID restrictions fast enough on things like gyms or, Mm -hmm. you know, other things. What's your what's your response to that public criticism? Because if I if I have to imagine if someone's going to vote against you and we're just talking about everyday people and not political insiders, they may be the most upset that the county's restrictions were more restrictive than the rest of the state.
1: You know, my responsibility is to look out for the health and welfare of St. Louis County residents and put that first and foremost. And that's exactly what we did. We listened to public health experts, medical doctors, our health systems, and we made decisions with their guidance and they were hard decisions. And I think that's one of the difficult um, things about being a leader. You have to make the hard decisions and not always uh, leave everyone happy. But we made the right decisions to save lives in St. Louis County And we were harder hit early on than the rest of the state with COVID. Um, We had a different impact. We are the most populous county in the state. We have had the most deaths of COVID. We've had the most cases of COVID. And we were going to have a different trajectory moving forward. Um, Having made those hard decisions early on, having been more uh, cautious and um, uh, thoughtful about our reopening plans, um, we've left the county in a very good position moving forward.
0: And before we get to our break, I want to ask you about the small business uh, relief plan. Can you just talk about like what your thinking was of having the council members involved? And I'm sure you've heard one of your opponents call it a slush fund. Mm -hmm. So in addition to responding to that, I want you to give you you a chance to uh, give your thoughts about how you laid that out, because that seemed to be like in reaction to the criticism that the council wasn't being involved enough. And now you're getting criticized that the council's too involved. But still, it's criticism. I believe that you deserve a chance to respond. This is
1: uh, a political environment in the campaign season and uh, criticism will be at times very vitriolic and creative and hard to follow logically, but that's, that's what campaigns are about. And you know the uh, involvement of council members is a longstanding position that I've had. I've involved them in decision-making um, since I was chair of the county council and since I became county executive on many aspects of how government is run, policy decisions, and, um, and uh, expenditures.
0: We'll be right back after this short break with County Executive Sam Page. And we're back on Politically Speaking with St. Louis County Executive Sam Page. So I want to move beyond COVID and the protests and give you a chance to talk about other major priorities that you would undertake if you were elected for the next two years. Like, what would be some things that you would want to put your nose to the grindstone on, so to speak, uh, in this very important job?
1: Well, I would go back to where I started when I first took over and recognize that uh, the history in our community of historic economic and um, racial segregation has um, set us back. And we have to recognize that we have to make sure that every corner of St. Louis County, every community, the kids growing up there have a chance um, at an opportunity, have a chance at a shot, a fair chance to um, become what they want to be. And uh, that's why I've always applied a lens of equity since my first day in office and moving past COVID as we start to transition back to our historic challenges and take on some big problems. Really what I would like to address first and foremost is crime and public safety, because at the root of that are these conversations we're having around civil rights, the conversations we're having um, about community policing, about police relationship with community, about trust of police. These are historic problems that go to what is the real root of all of our challenges in the community, and that is systemic and structural racism. Not intentional. Um, in, in most instances, it's not intentional. Um, it's um, implicit. It's unconscious. But we have to have these hard conversations. We have to address these tough issues and uh, get it out on the table.
0: So I understand the reasoning behind Proposition P in 2017 when the police wanted to make sure that their pay was good enough to retain people and also add more people and also add body cameras. But I I think you know full well that there were a lot of unintended consequences to that, whether it be other elements of county government wanting raises um, and other jurisdictions raising their sales taxes too. And I mean, you could make an argument that yes, it was done because the police wanted to do it, but it was also done to make Steve Stenger look good politically. So do you want to re-examine Proposition P and put something else up to the voters that maybe would retain some elements of the funding for police that's important, but direct some of the money elsewhere? Well, first of all, we should
1: get back on track and uh, make sure we have an accurate description of Proposition P and where it went. Okay. It is a public safety tax. It was originally written as a law enforcement tax, but was broadened to be described as a public safety tax in order to incorporate the drug courts and the prosecuting attorneys and uh, that's exactly what happened and historically 90 percent of the public safety tax proposition p has been spent on the police department almost entirely on salaries for police officers and that was a good thing i want to see a police department that is well staffed well trained well paid that is uh, responsive but also responsible for their actions and their inactions and they have to be well paid and well trained to do that proposition p did that 90% of those funds were spent on police department police salaries. The other 10% went to other public safety issues. Um, The um, prosecuting attorney uh, corrections officers in the jail. uh, Some of the nurses um, who provide uh, care for
0: inmates and
1: the drug courts.
0: So you mentioned the county council earlier, and one of the the key challenges to anybody in this job is forging a good relationship with the county council, which isn't always easy when you have people with different ideologies and different aims. What are you planning to do to make sure that you don't run into some of the same pitfalls as your last two predecessors who lost their support of the county council and really had a hard time accomplishing very much?
1: I think it's important that you treat other elected officials, either within county government or elsewhere in the county or elsewhere in the region, with respect. And if they disagree with you, you have to sit down and understand why and try and find some common ground. If they get upset with you, you have to be patient and uh, let folks express their frustration, let them ventilate, and not take it personally. And if, uh, if an elected official is able to do that, then you can maintain your relationships. And having a relationship with other elected official really is, is uh, the key. And I've always treated other elected officials, our council members, even when they don't agree with me, I treat them with respect I listen, and we look for a way to find a solution that works for them. It takes longer, but it pays real dividends in the long run because we're able to make decisions that incorporate the opinions of uh, the vast majority of the elected officials in St. Louis County. They're better decisions when they incorporate everyone's opinions and we get a better government and better results for the county. And that's the direction we've been going.
0: City, I want to talk about city-county merger, city-county unification, whatever you want to call it. Better Together imploded soon after you took office, but then the Board of Freeholders process came about, but that's been stalled because the city has not been able to get its appointees. Even if they had, I have to imagine it would have been stalled anyways because of COVID. Is there any way to get that process back on track? I know that's more of like a responsibility of the city, but would you like to see that as the venue to talk about real governmental transformation in the region over the next couple of years?
1: I believe it's a, it's a fallacy to believe that we can't work together cooperatively without tra- changing the structure of our government and the way those governments are structured to relate to each other. That conversation can continue, but in the interim, we've worked well together to address one of the biggest challenges in the past hundred years the uh, the historical impact of COVID-19 in our community required a coordinated public health response. We created the pandemic task force. I've I talked to the county executives of uh, uh, Jeff Coe and Saint Charles County and Franklin County on a regular basis at least once a week, every two weeks. I talked to Lida once a week, sometimes twice a week, and uh, we have um, a great relationship that is necessary to deliver the services in a coordinated way, not just the public health response. But also, the humanitarian response has been coordinated very closely with uh, the city of St. Louis and St. Louis County.
0: Do you think that there's just too much, not only political opposition, but just too much opposition amongst everyday people to bring St. Louis City into the county somewhere, whether it be a city, a municipality, whether it be a broader idea like Better Together, a, a mega government? Is that just an idea that just doesn't have the critical mass to, to, to pass muster right now?
1: Well, there hasn't been a clear and concise argument to the voters of St. Louis City and the voters of St. Louis County um, to answer the question, what's in it for me? And when someone is able to uh, make that argument, then um, it'll be back on the table. The first thing we have to do is get the Board of Freeholders together and start talking about the uh, services that are provided in the city and county and what's the most efficient way to provide those services that brings a good product to city voters and brings a good product to county voters. That doesn't prevent us from working together regionally to address big problems, and we'll continue to do that.
0: So let's talk about, let's spend the last few minutes talking about this campaign. This is a highly unusual campaign that's happening during a pandemic. I would say that all candidates of all stripes are probably struggling to figure out how they're gonna get their message out since they can't really go door to door as much as they used to. Obviously with County Executive, a lot of it is TV and radio ads, but there also is a grassroots component to it. How do you navigate this race in an age of COVID?
1: Well, we can still communicate. I have a lot of video conferences. I talk uh, uh, across the board to um, organizations that coordinate and provide services across the community, uh, faith leaders, labor organizations, um, you know, groups of, of individuals that gather together for a common interest. So we keep those communication lines open. They were open and established before COVID and have continued through video conferencing Uh, since then, but I think communication is important and I've uh, worked very hard to communicate with our community as to what they should do, um, what was the right thing to do, how to keep themselves safe, how to keep others safe, and how to move forward through this really challenging time in our history. But this election is really going to be a question of leadership. Is the county being led in the right direction? Has the person who has been here been doing a good job? And if the folks believe I'm doing a good job, then they will ask me to continue. It's um, a question of my record and the things that I have done uh, which would be compared to the promises and uh, hopes of, of someone who would be a challenger. Uh, my support in the in the community is strong um, and all, all the polls have shown that. And because of that strong support, I think you'll see a lot of uh, extraordinarily negative remarks made by my competitors in order to get some traction. And that's just the way the political cycle works. That's well, very predictable.
0: Well, one of the candidates that has made some very negative remarks about you is county assessor Jake Zimmerman. He basically has chastised you for just being more of the same political wheeler, wheeling and dealing. I think there was an ad that called you like one of the good old boys with Mark Manavani. I know you've heard a lot of his criticism of your administration, and he's trying to portray himself as the real progressive. Democrat in this race, which I think is important because I think that the electorate has become substantially more progressive than it was in 2014, for example. How do you counteract that message and what do you say to somebody who may be leaning toward the assessor's way, that you're a better choice?
1: Well, I would just say look at my record. Um, All of the progressive groups in St. Louis County have endorsed me. Um, Just that statement, just that he has made, along with just about every other statement he has made, or somewhere on the spectrum between fabrication and, and you know, misrepresentation. But that's what happens in an election cycle. Uh, when someone is uh, uh, extraordinarily behind in public opinion, you see a lot of uh, really extraordinary statements that are made. And that's the way politics is. I'm, I'm used to the criticism. I think the voters will see through it. In the end, they'll look at my record and they'll compare it to the promises and statements or misstatements of the other candidates,
0: and they'll make a decision. Another candidate that's running against you is Mark Montevani. And I have not spoken to him yet as we're recording this interview. But one thing he may say is, look, in 2018, I put my money and name on the line to take on Steve Stanger. I warned everybody what a disastrous person in administration he is. And I put out the you know, vision for the county before you did, even by you I'm pointing to. Sam Page right now. What, what do you say to that argument? And what do you say to people that may be thinking, you know what, Montevani was right in 2018. We should have voted him in. I want to give him a chance in 2020. I think that this
1: election will be about my record and the work that I've done and whether someone uh, wants to go in a different direction and want to accept someone's promises of what the, the promises that were made two years ago are the promises that are made now if uh, that will be compared and balanced to the accomplishments of our administration. I have a a 100-day report that demonstrates very clearly the accomplishments of our first 100 days. There's an annual report that will demonstrate the accomplishments uh, of the past year. We have uh, provided um, a family leave for county employees for the first time ever. We have uh, created a woman in the workplace task force, which has given recommendations which we implemented and St. Louis County was named one of the best places for women to work in the community, the only government agency to receive that, that recognition. We've um, initiated a prevailing wage les- legislation. We've passed ethics reform. There's an enormous amount of accomplishments and record to run on, and that will be weighed. Uh, the management of COVID, the management of uh, the civil rights conversations, um, these will all be weighed against promises that were made two years ago that weren't accepted by the voters. When compared to what was obviously a a criminal administration, um, the voters didn't accept them then. We'll see if they accept them now.
0: I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the last candidate in the race, Jamie Tolliver. Mm -hmm. And um, we all the candidates here are probably going to be talking about racial equity. And she would argue as a black woman, she has seen the disparities of racism and racial inequities firsthand. And she may be a better person to deal with those head on than three white guys. I mean, what do, you, what do you say to that argument? What do you say to people that support her that if we're going to really deal with racism and race, 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 racial inequities in this community, maybe it's best for a black woman to do that instead of a white man?
1: I think in the end, um, this is a job interview and a question of whether or not we should continue in the direction that we've gone. With my record on questions of diversity, equity, and inclusion, my record. On addressing the challenges in st louis county whether it's uh, covid or um, institutional racism or ethical reforms and that record will be compared to the promises and ideas and uh, talents and the perspectives of all the other candidates and it will be weighed by the voters and then they'll decide um, whether or not they want to continue in the same direction
0: what's at stake in on august 4th
1: well st louis county is the largest political subdivision of the state the county executive has An enormous amount of authority to uh, make decisions that impact the daily lives uh, of everyone in our community there are enormous amount of decisions made by government are made in local government and uh, it's very important not just roads and bridges and public health but the direction of the county the direction of these very difficult arguments and conversations about race about crime and public safety about access to health care so there's a lot at stake and um, you know i would argue that we're headed in the right direction that this is an election about leadership, about um, experience, about uh, whether or not we're, we're going where we need to go. And um, the voters in St. Louis County will compare my record to the promises and ideas of all the other candidates.
0: For all of our stories, tellpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. How could people follow you either on social media and, and where could people learn more about your campaign? My website is uh, sampage.com. Uh, the, um,
1: uh, county Twitter handle is D-R-S-A-M-P-A-G-E, and uh, I'm sure that there are other social media footprints that my campaign is managing, but I would just refer you to sampage.com. Are you on TikTok? Yeah. I am not on TikTok, uh, but my kids are. Until next time, so long.